Virgin Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. Some councils are auditing schools and urging a ban on the terms boy and girl. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, your relationships are holy. A gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman. We don't want to just win the argument about sexuality. We want to use this as a gospel opportunity. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Pick me! Pick me! This is Wretched Radio, uh, the question that has been asked, well, pretty much every single century the church has existed. How now shall we live? Considering the culture and the climate that surrounds us, how are evangelicals to move, to speak, to act, engage, participate? That is the question that was asked by one Aaron Wren writing an article at firstthings.com. This is a slightly dated article, but I just discovered it courtesy of you for sending it to idea at wretched.org. And I think he does a relatively pithy job of identifying three chapters of Western evangelicalism. Those chapters are positive, neutral, and negative. The positive world was pre-1994. You could argue 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall, but that was the time when it was groovy to be a Christian. That overall, it had a positive benefit for identifying with a church, specifically with Protestantism, but then increasingly even Catholicism. But the world was positive toward us prior to 1994. But then he says that in 1994, through 2014, things started changing. Again, you could pick 19. None of these dates historically are ever precise. Like, when did the Roman Catholic Church go wonky? You can't just go, oh, that year. It's a progression of things. It's never that tidy butt. The fall of the Berlin Wall and perhaps the most powerful year of the moral majority, 1994, when the Republicans had a majority in the House. And so he identifies from then until 2014, the year before Obergefell, that's the neutral world. Here's what he said. It's a neutral stance. Christianity no longer has privileged status, but it's not disfavored. Being publicly known as a Christian has neither a positive or a negative impact on societal status. Christianity is a valid option within a pluralistic public square. But not anymore, because now we are in the negative world from 2014, the year before Obergefell, to today. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. That's worth noting. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public moral order. Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. Congratulations. You and I are living in a negative world. And the question is, how are we going to live? It doesn't appear, at least according to Aaron Wren, we're prepared for this new chapter in evangelicalism. He cites something that has been a concern of mine for a bit. We're seeing fissures, cracks in evangelical Christianity. Alliances that once were strong, shattered, reforming, with some rather unusual marriages. Here's what he wrote. Old alliances are dissolving. Former Southern Baptist agency head Russell Moore left his denomination. 
David French has become a fearsome critic of many religious conservatives who once would have been his allies. He cites Owen Strand, professor, left an establishment seminary to take a leadership position in a startup one. These divisions do not only represent theological differences, here it is, they result from particular strategies of public engagement that have developed recently as the standing of Christianity has gradually eroded. People in response to this negative world that we are clearly living in are trying to figure out what's the relationship, for instance, between church and state. And by the way, somebody sent an email to idea.wretched.org saying, thank you for agreeing with Abraham Kuyper. I appreciate the email, but just because I believe in something called realms of jurisdictional authority, as did Kuyper, that doesn't mean I'm Kuyperian. Just because you agree with one aspect of somebody's position doesn't mean that you've adopted their entire worldview on this subject. I believe there's the church, there's the state, there's the family. You could even argue self as a realm of jurisdictional authority. And those realms are all under the authority of God, no matter who's running them. The question that is being debated now is, what is the relationship? When can the church say no to the state? And by the way, just as an aside, I don't know if you noticed this story. It was a Calvary Chapel in somewhere in Los Angeles. They were fined $1.2 million because they wouldn't wear masks during the COVID business. They're fighting it. It's been up like a ping pong match. It's going back and forth because of issues and incidents like that. A lot of people are saying, okay, how does this whole thing work? And the result has been fracturing. And I'm grateful that Aaron Wren is identifying that because if we are going to divide over societal observations, oh, Ay, ay, ay. We're going to live in an increasingly negative world. But the thrust of his article is to try to historically understand how did we move from positive to neutral to negative? Let's follow along so that we can try to answer the question, hmm, how should we go about being evangelicals in a negative world? He writes, for the most part, evangelicals responded to the positive and neutral worlds with identifiable ministry standards. In the positive world, when Christianity was thumbs up groovy, it was culture war and seeker sensitivity. That's interesting. So the culture war and seeker sensitivity, and he identifies certain names here. So Rick Warren and Bill Hybels, they brought in seeker sensitivity. Why? We want to downplay denominational differences. We don't want people to be turned off. We don't want to be all high churchy. So everything got casual. We started doing church for the pagans because we wanted the world to be like us. But it was the culture warriors, the moral majority, that went about the business of battling the darkness in society. But when we moved into the neutral territory, the neutral era, very short-lived, if you recall, from 2004 to 2014, it changed from culture warrior to cultural engager. These are people who decided we're not going to be antagonistic towards society. We're going to be friendly with them. Then this is the cultural engagement motif. And some of the familiar names you will recognize with that, Tim Keller, Hillsong Church. This is I'm, Again, this is from Aaron Wren. Veritas Forum, Christianity Today. They said, hey, 
let's have the world think that we're intellectuals and that we have some ideas that we can contribute. So the hard edges, they got filed off. We became kind of an intellectual voice in the public square as long as they would hear our voice from the article. The characteristic evangelical strategy of cultural engagement. These engagers were in many ways the opposite of the culture warriors. Rather than fighting against the culture, they were explicitly positive toward it. They didn't denounce secular culture, but confidently engaged that culture on its own terms in a pluralistic public square. And that leads us then to today. We are now living in a negative world, and Aaron Wren is wondering, well, how are we evangelicals going to live in this particular epoch of evangelicalism? Pick me. Please pick me. We should all know the answer to this. And I would suggest uh, the only reason that we might be trying to cobble together a new ministry strategy is because we're forgetting that the Lord has already given us one. Really, do we think our Bible isn't sufficient to the task of telling us how now we shall live? As if somehow it had an expiration date at the year 2014, and we got to figure out some way to live in this world outside of what the Bible teaches us. Let's dive in to Aaron Wren. The main strategy advocated by the negative world, in the negative world rather, is Rod Dreher's Benedict Option. This is the Eastern Orthodox fellow basically a monastic approach, not entirely, but for the sake of simplification, we need to go form little Christian communities away from these big bad pagans because it's getting really dark out there and they're becoming increasingly hostile. So let's remove ourselves from the world. And evangelical said, nah, not so interested in that. It's just a little bit too Catholic. It's a little bit too monastic sounding. And so evangelicals, They were unwilling to accept that they now live in the negative world. They reject the Benedict option, but we evangelicals haven't formulated a new strategy to Aaron Wren. Although evangelicals have not yet developed a negative world ministry strategy, the transition to the negative world has had major consequences. The shift has put different types and degrees of pressure on different evangelical groups. These pressures intersect with different social groups and strategic positionings, producing conflict and realignment within the evangelical world. And so it is. You're seeing people who are friends that don't talk to each other, don't share platforms anymore, and people who were once at odds with one another now holding hands. What's going on? We're trying to figure out how to live in the negative world. And Aaron Wren identifies that evangelicals are actually even rejecting the idea that we do live in these times and aren't willing to try to figure out the new ministry strategy approach for evangelicals. And might I suggest... That's precisely what got us here in the first place. We have created ministry strategies, but do we implore a biblical strategy? Next on Wretched Radio. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, 
we can trust this ministry, Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry, 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-BIBLE. Have you ever felt like you're on an emotional roller coaster? It's okay to admit it because we've all been there and some of us are there now. Well, saddle up, buckle up, strap up, whatever it is you prefer. Just tune in to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. It's the podcast you quite possibly have been waiting for because it's the place where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear come face to face with the Bible. And don't expect Dr. Gifford to just read scripture. No, he wrestles with it and applies it to challenges we all face. Trust me, this podcast, it's a game changer. And it must be for me to say game changer because I loathe that phrase. But that's exactly what Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford is. It'll help you and it will empower you to help others too. You'll be throwing out biblical wisdom like you're in Solomon's Court. New episodes, they drop every Saturday morning at transform.org slash podcast or wherever you usually listen to podcasts. Trust me, you'll be glad you listened. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Ambrose was the Bishop of Milan in the 4th century and one of the four original doctors of the church. He defeated Arianism by appealing to scripture and using well-reasoned arguments. Ambrose reminds us that a faithful teacher is a blessing to generations of Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. We do not need to wait for the latest Lifeway publication. This is Wretched Radio. All kinds of books have been written in evangelical Christianity telling us how now we shall live. How do we engage with this culture? How do we appear to be nice to the world? How do we influence the political realm? A strategy after strategy has been tried and it seems to me the results are in they're found wanting. Why? Because according to Aaron Wren from American Reformer, writing at firstthings.com, we have moved from a positive world that said thumbs up to evangelical Christianity. We dig you to a neutral world from 1994 to 2014, now courtesy of Obergefell and all of the sexual and gender advocacy groups. We are in a negative world where Christianity is not viewed positively or even neutrally. 
And Aaron Wren, tracking this history, also identifies the major players. What were the ministry strategies during these eras of evangelical history? In the positive world, we were the culture warriors and we were seeker sensitive. When the world started to grow a little cold toward us, we decided, now let's be cultural engagers. Let's be intellectual about this and reason with people on a higher level. That doesn't have as many sharp edges and as much certainty as the past evangelicals possessed, but now we're living in the neutral world or the negative world and asking the question, what's the ministry strategy in my estimation is the wrong question. We need to be asking, what's the biblical strategy? How are we to live in this world? And all we need to do is read our Bibles, and we will conclude, if we want a summary verse, we're to go and make disciples, teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded us, and lo, he's with us even to the end of the age. That's the ministry strategy, the biblical strategy. We're to be salt and light. We are to be winsome neighbors. We are to, uh, sorry, I used the word winsome. I know that means I'm a third wear. We're supposed to be nice people. We're supposed to be loving people. Yes, defenders of the truth, most certainly. But we are supposed to have strong churches, centers of community where the truth is indeed the pillar and the foundation which is why we're looking to start a church in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. And if you'd like to join us, simply send an email to dan at gospelpartnersmedia.org. We are to be Christ-like people, lights in a dark world, salt that stings the cesspool sores that the world has inflicted upon itself so that they might know a better way. That's the strategy going forward. Let's jump back in very Astute observations from Aaron Wren. Evangelicals have not yet developed a negative world ministry strategy, and it's causing a lot of conflict. And this is why I have been encouraging all of us, hey, we're, we're, we're new to this whole thing. Can we not divide just yet? Can, can we just maybe just cool our jets a little bit when it comes to division because you see social engagement differently than another Christian? The cultural engagers are clearly the most at risk from the transition to the negative world. The cultural engagers, if you recall, in the negative world or the neutral world, they were the people like Tim Keller who tried to be rather erudite and reason with people, sound quite smart, very nice. They have the most to lose. Why? Because we're seeing signs of that. Culture warriors were always vilified. Cultural engagers, now as we move into this negative world, they too will become increasingly vilified, which means they have the most to lose, if you will. Under pressure, this group has already turned away from engagement with and towards synchronization with secular elite culture. In other words, they're starting to adopt woke values. Theology is being minimized to the point of dismissal race, immigration, because we don't want the world to not like us. That was the battle cry, if I can use that term, of the cultural engagers. Increasingly, the rhetoric and activities of this group are about bringing secular cultural movements to the church rather than bringing the gospel to the culture. Ding, 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 ding. He continues with some of the divisions and the fracturing that is taking place. Though 80% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, a smaller share of evangelical leadership was not nuts about him. They were a part of the Never Trump movement. There was a shattering. 
And it's been acrimonious at times, ripping churches and institutions apart, he observes. Therefore, evangelicalism is in a flux. Its future as a coherent movement is in doubt. This crisis, in part, has resulted from the failure of evangelicalism to develop strategies designed for the negative world. Ah, that might be where, then I would have to talk to him to see if that he meant this, but we know what the strategy is. It's the same strategy. And guess what? It's worked. Not that we should be pragmatists, but the reality is the biblical model of evangelical life has already been codified. And we've seen it modeled, and we have seen the results, and it has been good. I was just reading an article in Christianity Today. Let's hope that this trend grows. They were saying that there are some groups that are recognizing, get ready for this, that youth groups, we got to stop the gross-out games. we got to start indoctrinating the kids. No! No, that's what really works. And if we have, get ready for this. This is the new trend in evangelicalism. We need older people to engage with younger people and mentor. They didn't say disciple. Mentor them. No, really? We need to stop separating the youth from the adults in worship and bring them in. No, get out of town. Can we stop following trends? Can we stop trying to create strategies to figure out how to live in this particular context when we already have the book that has told us, modeled for us, and proved itself to be successful? Yeah, we're in a flux, but we don't need to be asking about a new strategy to live in a secular society, hostile to our faith. He writes, the previous strategies are not adequate to today's realities and are being deformed under the pressures of the negative world. Good. Let's get rid of all of them and just go back to biblical. How's about that? It is impossible to predict the future, but the past suggests that the culture warriors can survive, but in a diminished form. The future of cultural engagers and megachurch people uh, looks a little bit grimmer. But rather than extend the existing strategies forward into the future, evangelicals could and should grapple seriously with what it means for them to live in the negative world. Pick me, pick me, go and make disciples, be a church that is a pillar and the defender of the truth, raise your kids to love Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, ring a bell, evangelicals. This just isn't that hard. Why would we go sniffing down a road that has already led to disaster? We don't need new strategies. We need to simply follow the old strategies. Now, in a separate article, I really do appreciate his work. Aaron Wren asking the question, what caused the negative world? How did we get here? Have you ever asked that question? I thought this was fascinating. Number one, the end of the Cold War. You say, what? The end of the, the Cold War was about God over communism. 1989, the wall falls down. Mm. During the Cold War, invoking God was trendy. He's on our side. But once the Cold War ended, the need for God lessened. Number two, the collapse of the WASP establishment. Please note, until the 60s, America was run by upper-class white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Well, guess what? Even though they were liberal, they would not have envisioned this sort of culture, but they were defenders of it. Nevertheless, even though they were nominal at best, but now that they're gone, what's keeping the progressives from invading the church and taking over? Number three, 
liquidation of intermediate institutions and social capital. It's, it's because you've, you had some institutions that were in place that supported these ideals, not the least of which would be the education system. Number four, deregulation and corporate concentration. And we've got oligarchies. Go woke, uh, go broke, go woke, go broke. There are people who are arguing and saying, actually, get woke or you go broke. They don't. These corporations have nothing to worry about because they run stuff. Google uh, and Apple. You want to be on the Internet? You better be in alignment with them. You want to use a credit card and participate in our electronic economy? You've got MasterCard and Visa. They, they aren't going to go broke. We have to do business with them. And because of that, they have cultural power and they're flexing it. And finally, digitization. And be, because we've got these sources that can control transactions, blackball you, kick you off, or cause you to even be terminated, that enables top-down control over economic life, which by extension gives these firms vast cultural power as well. That's how we got here. And we evangelicals, we should be asking the question, so what does Christian life look like in this negative world that we live in? Can we please start Let's just start here. We're only going to answer that question based on what the Bible says. Not on current church leader experts, church growth specialists, Christian sociologists. Nope. We do not change based on the era that we live in. We have our marching orders. The only question is, will we obey them in this negative world? This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. First up today, California prison officials have denied allegations of retaliating against female inmates after they reported sexual abuse by staff members. California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is investigating the matter, so they're investigating themselves. Yeah, let's see how that one turns out. And speaking of prison, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has donated his first quarter salary of just over $40,000 to Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. The organization provides spiritual guidance to inmates and their families. And your prayers are needed for Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He experienced a health scare recently. Blood clots were discovered in his lungs. His family is asking for prayers as he undergoes treatments. Well, Disney's back in the news. You know, they can't go too long without making headlines. They're actually going to be hosting their first ever Pride Night. Not a shocker. It's going to be in their After Dark series coming June 3rd. They'll have themed food, photo opportunities, and special appearances by Disney characters. Oh, how fun. The wokest place, I mean, the happiest place on earth. Well, Loudoun County Public Schools also continuing to make headlines as they have decided to make restrooms co-ed. Isn't this what got them in trouble in the first place? Yeah, they're continuing to try to accommodate transgender students. The decision, which is part of their larger policy that addresses the rights of transgender students, been met with both support and opposition, and this ongoing debate appears to be long from over. Well, the CEO of Google is calling for regulation on AI, warning society to brace for the impact of technology. 
In a recent interview, he urged governments to take a proactive approach in developing guidelines for AI usage, highlighting the potential benefits and pitfalls of the technology. In a controversial move, Planned Parenthood has been teaching young girls that prostitution is okay. That is not a shocker at all. It's disappointing, disheartening, but definitely not a shocker. The organization has curriculum titled Stand and Deliver, and it encourages educators to approach the topic of sex work as a legitimate profession. And we not defund these people once and for all. <sighs> and lastly, as we talked about on Wretched yesterday, a planned drag performance in Forsyth County, Georgia, at a county facility has been canceled after public outcry. The event, which was set to take place at the Sexton Hall Enrichment Center, was met with opposition from local residents who felt it was inappropriate for a county-sponsored venue. You know, separation of church and state, that type of thing, don't think this isn't a religion. Anyway, amid the uproar, Forsyth County officials decided to pull the plug on the performance and issue refunds. You know, sometimes the voice of the community does prevail. It pays to stand firm in your beliefs. Be loving, but be firm. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Exodus is a story of God saving His people from oppression and giving them an identity and an inheritance. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which begin with the statement, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Good deeds have always been a response to God's saving work, not a means of earning salvation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. No. You're not listening to K-Love. <laughs> not that they play a song like this anyway. This is Wretched Radio, pondering how now we shall live in a negative world. I don't know. Maybe remember what Jesus said. Rescue the
for living in a new era. We need to return to the old ways, which are the biblical ways, which are keeping our eyes on the kingdom that Christ is building, an eternal kingdom, one where he will reign forever and ever with those he saves when they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. We, in our modern society, which, by the way, did you know that every single society has been a modern society? We all were modern at one in 1205. They were modern. Today, we look at them as if they were antiquated, but perhaps especially in our electronic era, we think, whew, we've got all of the wisdom of the world at our fingertips. Well, we might have all of the knowledge of the world at our fingertips, but that doesn't mean we are wise. And as evangelicals, we cannot be wooed into considering a new strategy for living in this new negative world that we're in. We got to go back to the marching orders of our commander in chief, Jesus Christ to be a holy set-apart people, to be evangelists, all of us, as we have opportunity. And there are plenty of them. If you leave your house, you have an opportunity. In fact, you've got an opportunity in your house if you ever go on the internet or talk to a human being on your cell phone. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be living as salt and light. We need to be engaged in our churches, performing the one another's with one another. That's the formula. It is as simple and tried and true as that. An article, another article, this was written by one Zephram Foster at the American Reformer, recognizing that we in our sophisticated society, even as Christians, have a tendency to forget about spiritual warfare and the battle that rages, including political battles, social battles, moral battles. They are all spiritual behind them. He writes this, Christian theology in the 20th century, especially in the West, is tainted by modern presuppositions. Most churches don't speak about demonic activity often. Why? Well, we see some groups, and this article identifies charismatic groups, Pentecostal groups, quote, are prone to over-demonizing the world and attributing every sickness, affliction, or sin to Satan himself. All right, just because there's an imbalance doesn't mean that we shouldn't recognize what's going on out there is demonic. It is satanic. What, Bud, Lizer make, Bud Light, it makes you nuts because of what they did with their spokesperson. Can we call them a person? They're lost. Their marketing department is lost. 
the spokesperson is lost. We need to remember that they are under the sway of the devil. Now, I know that doesn't sound sophisticated in the West anymore, but that is to our detriment of not recognizing what is going on out there. Because if we fail to recognize that it's a spiritual battle, we will not engage on a spiritual level with spiritual weapons. Back to the article. The problem of over-tributing phenomena to demonic activity is a small one compared to the much more common issue of ignoring demonic activity entirely. Many worldly sins, conditions, and social trends are certainly demonic in nature, and this should be recognized. Are you willing to say to people in academic company, they're demons, they're dark spiritual forces afoot. There's a reason people want Satan clubs for after-school elementary children. It's because the devil is real, and he's active, and he's prowling about this planet looking for people to devour. Or have we become cultural engagers ourselves? A little too afraid to talk in such terms. So now the question becomes, just what exactly can be said to be demonic in nature, and where are Satan's efforts being directed? Well, Satan desires human, in, human destruction. And so he feeds lies as the father of lies to innocents, hoping for their downfall. There's nothing Satan could desire more for the youth of the Western world than for men to exchange the natural sexual relations with women for homosexual ones, for them to deny essential characteristics about their created state, for girls to go under the knife. We'll leave it at that. Satan loves to see children torn limb from limb in the womb. He loves death and any culture that promotes it. Don't forget, the abortion war, it's, it's a spiritual battle, which is why the folks at Preborn preach the gospel, because they recognize unless these people get saved, they're going to be back again and again and again, because those who hate God love death. Those who love the Lord, they love life. Please consider supporting Preborn. Court battles are raging. You've got, by the way, abortions are down. I think there was like thirty or 40,000 less abortions thanks to, Obergefell, or to Roe v. Wade being overturned. But don't think for a second that the battle has ended. The, the medication that somebody can take a pill to abort their child. Please consider supporting the great ministry of Preborn, preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash Wretched. Satan abuses the disconnectedness of the modern world and exploits the lack of true community, sexual movements, identities. Satan loves to deceive, to treat human beings like meat robots with parts that can be replaced. That is what is going on out there. It is a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms, and it is orchestrated by Satan himself with his minions that go about the business of carrying out his orders. Hmm, here's one that might sting. If demons submit to Satan and do what they're told, what does that say about us when we go about the business of not listening to our commander-in-chief and looking for creative new ministry ways, ministerial approaches to making sure that we have cultural influence and perhaps win the next election? Demons obey Satan. Will we obey our Savior? and rescue the perishing. This is Wretched Radio. 
you're familiar with this sound, you're sitting in church, your pastor is preaching, you have your John MacArthur Study Bible open, the pastor is reading the scripture, and all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines? They typically make about 12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. You know, we get a lot of testimonies around here about how God is using Wretched to reach people with the gospel. And we certainly do appreciate you for sending those. We also appreciate all of our gospel partners for what you do, because those testimonies wouldn't be possible without your help and support. And one of those testimonies that's always stuck out to me came from a young man named Nassim. Nassim wrote in about two years ago and said he was in a dark place. He was feeling hopeless, even suicidal. And then Todd recommended that Nassim read stressed out. He did, and the scene credits that book with setting him on a better path. And we want to thank all of our gospel partners. Your faithful and consistent support is making a difference in the lives of people like Nassim. So to our gospel partners, thank you for your generosity, your faithfulness, and your prayers. And to those considering becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner, we invite you to visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby, courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Attributes of God. The Bible tells us of God's goodness. God does not measure up to an external standard of goodness. He is the standard. Because everything God does is by definition good, we can trust that God will do what is right in every situation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If I asked you to preach the gospel, would it take you 
nine minutes. This is Wretched Radio, rescuing the perishing. Those are our marching orders. That means we need to be proclaiming the gospel, which reminded me of the time I was sitting down with one Steve Lawson. I think we were at a shepherd's conference, strange, I don't know what, we were at some conference at Grace Community Church, and I asked Steve Lawson to preach the gospel. Nine minutes later, He ended, it is always good to be reminded of the great news that we get to share with a world that is perishing. The gospel is very simply Jesus Christ. Uh, Who among us is tired of hearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, sent into this world to be born of a virgin that he might be sinless, uh, that he might be born under the law to keep the very law that you and I break day after day after day. The perfect, sinless Son of God has perfectly met all the requirements of God's law and is ready to give his righteousness to us that we would have a perfect standing before God. And that he went to a cross, there he was lifted up to die. There upon that cross, the sins of everyone who would believe in him were transferred to him. And him who knew no sin, God made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange of the cross, the worst about me laid upon him, the best about him now to be laid upon me. As he shed his blood upon that cross, he reconciled sinful man to holy God. There is no other way for us to have a relationship with an infinitely holy God except through the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was by His sin-bearing, substitutionary, vicarious death upon that cross, it was as if He took sinful man in one hand and holy God in the other hand and brought the two together through His death. By that death, He satisfied the righteous anger of God and appeased His wrath towards all who would believe in Him. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was through that death that He redeemed sinners out of the slave market of of sin and redeemed us out of the tyranny of Satan's grip upon our lives. It was by that death that Jesus Christ has, has provided now salvation free for all who will call upon His name. He was taken down from that cross. He said, it is finished. Not I am finished. It is finished. He had completed the mission of salvation that He had come into this world to accomplish. He was buried in the rich man's tomb, and on the third day, by all the the power that was inherent within Him as the Son of God, He raised Himself from the dead. He came walking out of that tomb, a risen, living, victorious Savior. He ascended back to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is mighty to save unto the uttermost all who call upon Him. To call upon the Lord Jesus Christ is to look away from yourself, to look away from religion, to look away from your church, to look away from your denomination, to look away from your baptism and your church membership and all of your good works, 
and to look exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, him who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He loves to save sinners. He is the friend of sinners. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came not for the righteous. He came for those who are unrighteous. He is a good physician. He has come not for those who are, who are well, but for those who are sick. Will you tell him this moment what a sinner you are? Will you tell him how sick you are by sin, that you're unable to save yourself? Would you call upon him, say, Lord Jesus, save me. I, I am a wretched, hell-bound sinner, but your grace is being offered to sinners like me. If you would call upon his name this very moment, I promise you by the authority of the word of God, that He will save you. He will save you today. He will wash your sins away. You will be clean and pure from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. He says, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you will call upon Him, He will give you His righteousness. It is a free gift. There is nothing you can do to earn it. There is nothing that you can do to merit it. He will clothe you with the perfect garments of His righteousness. And as God looks upon you, there will be a covering for your sin. Uh, he will see only the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ covering the entirety of who you are, your sin-sick soul. You will find acceptance with God. And one day when you die... He will take you into the very presence of the Father and present you faultless before the throne of God. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peter said, there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. If you turn away from this free offer of the gospel, there is no hope for your soul. You will be trampling underfoot the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, hell cannot be hot enough for you to hear this message, to hear this truth, and to refuse the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and bled and died upon Calvary's cross to save sinners. If you refuse the gospel, your blood is on your own hands and you will suffer in hell forever under the torment of the wrath of God. You will be among the torment of the damned and you will never find relief for your soul. But today, the gates of paradise are swung open to you and you may come in and you may enter and Jesus says, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. How hard it is for you to continue to live a life of sin. How glorious it would be to come into the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive his salvation. This is a decisive moment in your life. You may never have an opportunity like this again where the gospel is so clearly being presented to you. 
And so I beg you, I urge you, if you are not saved, if you are not committed to this moment, commit your life to Jesus Christ. He will receive you. He will save you. He will wash you. And one day he will take you to heaven where you will spend all eternity with him. This is the greatest offer that has ever been made to anyone on this earth. This is the glorious good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So I would urge you this moment, if you have never believed upon Jesus Christ in your heart of hearts, to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and you are a Savior. I am a great sinner. You are a great Savior. And I now, this moment, as an act of my will, I commit all that I am to you. If you have never done that, I would urge you to do so this very moment. Why, oh why, would you reject God's terms of peace? Everybody wants peace with God, so it seems, but they go about the business of designing their own means, trying to concoct a system that they think will be satisfactory to God and to them. Sorry, even a football player has to abide by the rules of another, and we human beings, we cannot write our own rules. We must submit to the rules that God has written, and here they are. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. If you would like to be in a relationship with God and you have been trying to write your own ticket, tear it up and receive the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting from your sins, trusting in him for your eternity, and he is mighty to save. And if you are a Christian who has been regenerated upon hearing that good news, I got a question. Why would we want to proclaim a lesser message? Why would we want to teach society mere precepts when we have the precious gospel why would we want a downgrade in our role assigned by God himself to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that the lost could be found, that the perishing could be rescued? Don't you want to preach that good news to people? Don't you want them to be saved? If we are uh, over this darkened culture, there's only one light. There is only one source of illumination, and it doesn't come simply from Christian moral precepts. That's called Pharisaism. Instead, we preach law, we preach gospel, we preach the resurrection, we preach repentance and faith. Is there a more glorious message that God could allow us to speak from our sinful lips to sinful men and women? The answer is no. That was a rhetorical question. So what say? We get about the business of the master. Preach the gospel to rescue the perishing. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>